Igawaur acknowledges the traditional owners of the land upon which we record, the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation and the Wadawurrung people of the Kulin Nation. We pay our respects to the elders past, present and emerging. I'm Good Brother. And I'm Will Silky. And welcome to Ego Hour, the show where we deliver objectively true film reviews. It's at the time of Tommy Tom. Anything said over the next 60 minutes probably will stand up in a court of law. And <laughs> definitely, though, any argument you find yourself in with a film school student. These reviews are non negotiable, non refundable, and nondescript. So, let's talk about In the Mood for Love. Pretty good. Released on the 20th of May 2000 in Hong Kong, In the Mood for Love, also known by its Transylvanian release title, In the Mood for Noodles, is the story of Mrs Chan and Mr Chow, who move into neighbouring apartments and whose lives quickly become entwined when they find out their partners are cheating together. The film's budget is not readily available, but production was extensive and filming alone took 15 months, and an economic crisis required the filmmakers to find new investors in the middle of this period. Fortunately, the film was a critical success, being nominated for the Palme d'Or at Cannes and winning Tony Long the Best Actor Award at the festival, and eventually leading to a box office of $12.8 The film clocks in with a runtime of 98 minutes and may just leave you wondering, what would $30 get you at a brothel? <laughs> there Nailed we go. It. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> here very, we go. Okay, very special episode. Yes, again, we would like to welcome back the infathomable, unfathomable. That's not. That's not the, the ar- immovable object. <laughs> the archaic. <laughs> Are these compliments? Or? Yeah. The wonderful <laughs> Ben, <laughs> bad or brother. aka Bad Brother. Welcome, Ben. Thank you. I don't know how I earned the name Bad Brother, but. Yeah. Well, we've got good brother. Simple process of elimination. Yeah. <laughs> Making you like average brother or just brother? Chum, buddy, Chum. champ. Yeah, welcome. Right. Are we um, doing the how you doing? That's uh, the only question. Yeah, it's, it's a guest rule. Hey, girl. I know it's been a while, but uh, I just need to ask you something. Hi, So, Ben, how are you feeling? I'm doing well. Just got out of lockdown here in Melbourne again. Um, but little circuit breaker. little circuit breaker. Little five-day holiday. Five-day holiday, yeah. So, spirits are high. Yeah, that's good. How are you guys? Yeah, we're good. <laughs> you don't need to ask that. <laughs> this is the latest time a pot has started. So it's is that true? Saucy. I mean, look, everyone who knows me knows that I'm usually in bed by 9.30. So, this is going to be rough. Okay. This pod has been a long time in the making. Um, Wong Kar Wai is famous within this family circle for <laughs> because back in first year university, way back in 2017, I was handed a task and it wasn't just any task. It was describe, <laughs> research <laughs> and present an oral presentation on one director that we are filming in our film studies class. And one of the films we covered was Chunking Express by Wong Kar Wai. What followed you wouldn't believe because um, turns out Wong Kar Wai was one of the best choices to get. So I can distinctly remember they were giving out directors and there are a few, they're obviously famous names because it was supposed to be a film class where they covered just like basically classic 
films that you should see sort of. So we had like Kubrick in 2001, but that was end of semester. I hadn't seen it yet, so it wasn't my favorite film yet. Um, yeah, I know, a bit of insight. Was it your favorite film when you watched it in film class? Funny, funny thing. I was probably going to say this till the 2001 podcast, but I remember watching it and being like, this is amazing, but I'm ready for it to end. <laughs> and I know I'm going to like it on second watch. I'm going to appreciate the weird part with all the colors and shit like that more the second time. And fortunately that held up. But yeah, so we watched Chunking Express in class. Hadn't seen it when I did the presentation though, so saved that for the class because I was a few weeks into it. Uh, there were other people like Catherine, not Catherine Heigl, um, famous director oh, Catherine Heigl. I must see films, obviously. Uh, Hurt Locker. Yeah, Catherine Bigelow. And there's also the independent director, which I we discussed this with Ben last week. Different Ben. Anyway, so a few different famous directors, and I was like, Wong Kar who's this guy? I like his his look. I don't know if you've seen what he dresses like, but he wears like sunglasses and then like a tracksuit all the time. It's a good look. And yes, I got him. And but then, so the first film that Ben and I, so Ben helped me with my studies for this Wong Kar Wai presentation because helping being watch movies with yeah, Tom. Effectively, so we had to. Was happy to help. Um, just talk about like their signature moves and stuff like that. And the first one we watched was My Blueberry Nights, which is his 2007. Oh, film. you've seen that? Yeah. Interesting. And it's his. English film. Only English film so far? I believe so. And it's really bad. It's not good. Really bad. Yeah. It's just like the... I think... Nora Jones is the lead in it, isn't she? Yes. The blues singer. And Jude Law's in it. And they eat blueberry and... it Like, effectively, it doesn't work. And it works for the same reason that this film does work. Coming out on a limb here, boys. It doesn't work for the same reason this film does work. Yeah. Well, basically, the magic of this film does not translate to the Western market. It's effectively what I'd say. Do you think it's the English language or the Western setting? A bit of both. Like, I think... Well, uh, the the better answer is the Western setting and Western cultures and stuff like that. But the West, certain amount of this charm is from not understanding the language, I think, in this film. And it's just like, this film is set in Hong... Uh, with Hongkonese characters. In Hong Kong, it is. And they're speaking... A foreign language and it's like um i don't know it seems more romantic rather than your own language and when you slap americans in there and get americans to do it it's a little a little less special all i'm saying they just kind of bounced around like unimportant america right yeah and then she came in and ate blueberry pie every night and it was a romantic built-in moment like similar to how they eat noodles in this but you know Pie is just less exciting than noodles. Anyway, so I did really well on the assignment, <laughs> got a good mark, but it meant that I watched this film, I watched Fallen Angels, I watched Happy Together. Anyway, fortunately, this is film school doing its job. director and then we've been talking about watching Wong's movies for a long time and unfortunately they're not on YouTube anymore they used to just be on YouTube oh interesting like no copyright or you know just illegally and it was great but then now we had to find an alternative way in which is Canopy Canopy so yeah how would the listeners watch this movie they could rent it they could pay for it from where you mean you can't rent it on YouTube I couldn't ah okay well here's our inside trick Get a Canopy account. 
Get your brother. Canopy is a free uh, film viewing software, but know someone who goes to Melbourne Uni, log in and get the library verified by them and then watch it because Melbourne Uni, thank you for this one. The film school student couldn't get the bloody film. Mm, there were five movies on there and one of them was not Wong Kar Wai. So very what, what was there? The Goofy movie? <laughs> Parent Trap. <laughs> Shrek 4. Yeah, so, well, in you know. Classics. Yeah, they've obviously changed the course and modernized it a bit. Anyway, so you got to watch this film though. This is a strong recommendation in film literacy, I'd say. All right, and we're going to probably get more douchey than that, but just heads up. Yeah, so that's our context. So we watched it. And I said to Nick, I said, this is the Wong Kar Wai film that everyone talks about. So I was almost hesitant to do it because it's so famously good. But, you know, I thought, fuck it. I want to watch this film again. It's a good film. So we watched Here it. Here we are. Yeah. It's been a long time coming, watching it again. We've yeah. sort of romanticized watching the Wong Kar Wai films for a couple of years. Yeah. But never got around to it. Well, and it's like you can't even buy them on DVD or Blu-ray because they're too indie and so they're actually expensive, you know? It's like when I spent like $30 or whatever to order Apocalypse Now. From like the UK. No, or... Hearts of Darkness. Yeah, Hearts of Darkness Blu-ray because I couldn't find it on the internet. Turns out it's on SBS now. Yeah. So, goodness. But SBS really comes through the goods. Like... Well, this has definitely been on SBS at a time. It's mm. just the amount of time. And the worst part about SBS though is that they show you the movies that were on it so then you click on the link and it's like mm. expired and you're just like, why Why you got to rub this in? Like well, this? here's the thing is that I got a VPN recently. So I was like, cool, I can have access to pretty much any movie. Like 50% of other Netflixes are exactly the same as ours. Bad. Yeah. Well, I mean, they don't have any extra content. Japan's Netflix so far has come through the goods. Popping off. It has every King Kong you could dream of, which no. not King Kong, sorry. I mean, Godzilla. And I'm pretty sure the King Kong yes, as well. Yes, please. Do you, I thought I, anyway, because we're, we're hyping up this. Godzilla v Kong episode that's coming. So I've got to watch all 30 Kong uh, Godzilla movies. (laughs) We're going to lock in. We're going to grab, what, a bit of sesame oil and a few noodles and... Sesame soup, isn't it? Sesame sauce. Sesame syrup. 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 Wow, Ben with the fact check. I'm assuming it's sesame oil, which Tom went ham on with dinner before. I had to prep. (laughs) I had to do my research for the film. So I had a healthy dose of sesame oil and my uh, stir fry for dinner. You're welcome. I cooked it. Kong. Just to... Just to plug it. Anything Kong you want to plug? Kong v. Wong. <laughs> Kong v. Wong. That's a good one. So, any context for you? Um, I had never seen a Wong Kar Wai film before. Um, but I, it's funny, like, I was like, oh, I'm expecting big things from you, Tom, because you've done this assignment. And you're like, oh, it was a first-year assignment. It was like a PowerPoint presentation. <laughs> like, I didn't do any research properly. If you want to know the about the thorough analysis of Boys in the Hood, pretty good with that one. Uh, Coffee as well. That was that project. Animal Kingdom. Animal Kingdom compared to Romper Stumper. That, that's actually a good essay. I feel like in terms of the Australian... Maybe uh, we'll do a bonus episode where Tom rereads these essays and you ooh. can... And the viewers can judge. You can decide. You can grade me and... I got good grades, by the way. So... <laughs> God. <laughs> so self-important. So what... Yeah, I didn't, hadn't seen it. We were going to go see as a film of his at Acme. Sorry? As Tears Go By. Which is his first, right? Yeah. So we have Acme, but then, you know. Circuit Breaker. And then, yeah. Here we are. Uncle Dan called the, made the call and then we stayed home. And then we watched this. And I wanted to watch Rosemary's Baby, but I'm just saying, we'll probably watch it next week, hopefully. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And I'm just going to get stuck into it because yep. Ben's. Because we're waffling. Oh, Ben, we're waffling. Same background to Tom, apart from doing the 
assignment, which you've famously heard about. Mm-hmm. It was a good assignment. So one girl presented on uh, Stanley Kubrick came in with a clockwork orange t-shirt. Pretty nice touch. I, did, I forgot to come in with my one car white Adidas tracksuit and sunglasses. I mean, statistically speaking, you were probably wearing the cop shirt. <laughs> <laughs> wow. <laughs> I'm going to try and merch this off eventually when we get big enough. You mean you're going to sell the one you're wearing because it smells like sweat? <laughs> it's going to be... And noodles. <laughs> what rhymes with carbs and it's going to have me with a baseball bat cartoon on the back. Anyway. This movie is... I think we're on a bit of a... I say this... I feel a bit enlightened cinematography-wise, I'm going to say, as a movie consumer. And, and what I'm, else was there? I feel like you had a very important cinematography experience in your life just recently. I was on a film shoot with Nick Tom. Was on a, Nick was on a music video shoot. shoot and... Uh, you want to see someone who knows how to use a camera and don't shop to one of my sets. <laughs> it makes you appreciate what good lighting looks like. If you want to see a man who knows how to use a roller sticky tape, that's I'm your guy. Yeah, yeah. I will tape anything to anything. No questions asked. <laughs> um, anyway, but I don't know. It's nice seeing Tom holding a camera. Yeah. He had the Doc Ock arm. I, yeah, the easy cool. rig. I was looking good. Anyway, cinematography in this film is just the first thing I think we can talk about. And it's really great. It's beautiful. Yeah. And... It's the, this film overall has this warmth to it where I sat down and I was like 10, 15 minutes in and I was like, wow, I can really just like see why people like love this already. Just the way it looks and feels feels really kind of snugly, even though it's not necessarily a happy movie, mm. which I think has to do with the setting as well because the first maybe three quarters of the film is set in this place where they all live, which is very tight and narrow. Well, a lot's in the hallway. Like I was just sort of reflecting yeah. like... You don't really get a good idea of the layout of their exactly. actual living bit because you just sort of see where they are relative to each other because they live next door in a building. But beyond that, you don't really understand the space per se. Like You just know how close they are relative to each other. Mm. Another thing that's kind of worth noting from my experience is that I didn't pay attention to when it was made. So obviously it's set in the, what is it? The f- 60s. 60s. Early 60s. Yeah. To the late. 60s. Yeah. Oh, sort of. Yeah. But this came out in 2000 and I, I don't know. I you haven't wouldn't made have that known. You wouldn't have known. It feels older. It feels classic. Yeah. You know what I mean? So the cinematography is unreal. Um, and I think it's just functioning on so many levels. It's, it's famously like narratively functioning in the way that they are in close proximity and the camera is doing a lot to portray that. There's a lot of frames within frames. Um, which has been reported by every video essay you've ever seen on this film. But, you know, it's true. And But what's sort of funny about this was I was watching that with... Because I remembered that when I was watching this, because I haven't seen it in four years, but I remembered the essay talking about how there's frames within frames. And I was watching it looking for that. And But I was also sort of like, you know, I feel like they're shooting a real location. So there's not a heap you can do that looks good besides doing these tight, like long lenses to get a cinematic look in this corridor anyway so i think they were sort of determined by their conditions not to undermine how great the camera work but is. there's also the point where you scout locations and you pick a hallway that looks the way it looks you know what i mean yeah but there was very few set pieces right like locations yeah locations yeah. sorry um yeah very repetitive in terms of where they are yeah you've got the corridor you've got his bedroom you've got Sort of uh, her like dining room slash corridor in the dine like in the apartment block like where she's cooking in the back of the frame or something's going on in the foreground. 
Um, you go to her office. Her office, his office. He, uh, his wife's office, like from, but that's always from the outside as well. Yeah. You're always looking through a window. Yeah. And that's sort of like a library or something because you get a few things there when they're on phone calls. And then probably the biggest space is the, oh, and obviously the, the noodle bar. Yeah. Um, but then the wider space is probably the, the alleyway. The, yeah, the alleyway. So the, I guess the alleyway is the one where you go, okay, they're deliberately doing this because you're always getting like, uh, the building near the fort, side, yeah. yeah, taking up a certain amount of space in the frame. The result is that they always seem closed in and they always seem, I guess, like, you know, observed um, and just stuff's pressing in on them. They, they're never free and spacious, like considering that you could have captured some sort of shot where it's, it's like, it's interesting. It shows a great um, restraint to not show them in the context of a city or something like that. That's a shot that wouldn't be wild here. Yeah, it's funny because it, you know it's in Hong Kong, but you don't really see the city or anything that's like definitively Hong Kong. Like you just kind of fill in the pieces based on yeah. the little bits you see around. Yeah, I think uh, maybe a small percentage of that is because you can control a historic look in... Like because 2000, as Nick said, it, they've done such a great job at making you think it's older than it is. But like in 2000, Hong Kong looks nothing like this. You know, you imagine that there's... Well, you don't know. But you imagine, maybe in certain parts, but you imagine that there's Panasonic and Sony and stuff like yeah. that in the billboards. Um, yeah. So they did shoot it in real locations in older areas, but also in a bit of Shanghai, I believe. And then the hotel was shot in Bangkok, actually. I think the one word you said there was like the observer sort of thing. That's another one of those video essay opinions, which I'd heard. Like you kind of feel like you're the, like the third person watching in all the interactions especially some of them like there's like a little bit of curtain or something like that that kind of obscures your view between where you are as a viewer and them in the scene do you want to get the video essay opinions out of the way just so i'm aware what they are because it's frame in frames it's observer i actually have a video essay song that really gets a spin so this will be good it's my Um, what I actually did, what I really appreciate about this film is the camera movement, though. I think the camera movement, it really lends itself to the fact that everything else is restrained because it makes the camera movement feel like you're shattering a wall. It's very deliberate. Mm -hmm. um, for example, the most, like, the one dramatic camera movement thing that we laughed at before, sort of, because we watched a clip where they finally have the discussion about having the cheat in, is you get this whip pan between him and her. And it's like so different to everything you've seen so far. You've seen smooth tracks up and pans and tilts. Um, you've seen smooth dollies and stuff. And then you get this little bit of chaos. And this is like hugely contrasting to his other films because Chunking Express is wild. Wait till you see it. It's like a lot of handheld sort of stuff and like open shutter angles. So stuff's blurring together and this aesthetic. But this film is so restrained. So it really does stand out in his filmography. And then narratively it functions because, and like narratively and holistically it functions because this film really lulls you into this mood. Um, and it's because I think it also helps that it's, it's very stable and confident, but it's also sort of repetitive. 
the first like 30, 40 minutes of the film, not much happens. It's all about like seeing them pass by in the corridors, seeing these brief moments of interaction. And then it kind of cranks up the importance of when they do interact. What did you think watching the start of this? Yeah. So I think what's interesting about the first half, obviously it's super repetitive and the, sh- the scenes are really short. Like they don't stay a- around. They only give you all the information you need and then they move on to the next thing. So like you obviously, you actually see like you miss out on a bit of character development that you might see in another film. Like another film, you can imagine them spending more time with both of the in the, their individual lives. Yeah, yeah exactly. To show that they are, I guess, building up to this premise of them breaking out a little bit. Mm-hmm. And Mr. Chow, like, you don't see much of him particularly. It's not really focused on him for the start. Yeah, it does give her sort of more time at the office and... Which is interesting because then the film kind of, towards the end, feels maybe more like it's focusing on him a bit, you know? Like, yeah. he's the one who falls in love with her and... Because he comes the more like the driving force in their romantic kind of story. Like he's the one that really drives it, I would say. Because he, he, he remains a kind of mysterious figure for the start of the film until, I guess, that diner scene particularly, you know? Mm. There's glimpses of it, but yeah. Basically, what I was going back to at the start is just, it feels, it's edited in an interesting way. Yeah. Where it feels like this kind of importance and almost not importance where you're only seeing these little interactions and it's almost like how it would be if you met someone and how you were kind of getting to know someone. It's like, these are all the little times you've seen them before anything relevant happens. You know what I mean? Yeah. Which is a cool way of playing it, I think. I think it's just heavily coded because you're seeing stuff and you're like, why am I seeing this? Mm -hmm. And so even in the clips that we watched to prepare for this, like, I just think that this film would look entirely different on a second watch. Mm -hmm. Like, because you're they're showing bits that are trying to build you up for the weight of what's going on. Um, the only time you start catching something being astray is you're like, how come I haven't seen their partners yet? You know, you're not seeing Mrs. Mr. Chan or Mrs. Chow. And like, you get a bit of Mrs. Chow because she's like letting him down and being like, I'm working late. And then you get an, you hear that they've had a little bit of a fight, but you don't, really understand what she does and what their relationship is. You have no reason to like them as a couple, Mm -hmm. which I think is actually, I think that this is sort of ends up being a film that's like, how could you justify people cheating? What does the ideal situation of people ending up cheating look like? That's a good point, yeah. Um, I couldn't help but feel like that watching this film because, to be honest, I forgot that um, their partners were cheating. Did you remember this? I guess yes, but no. Like it kind of, it serves as the reason why they come together, but then it kind of becomes unimportant in that sense. Like it's not unimportant, but I guess, yeah, I did kind of forget. Is so the you short forgot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because I completely forgot. And then I just remember them cheating and being like, oh, I, I thought this film was a little bit more about two scumbags, you know? And I was like watching it going like, oh, how do they make us like these main oh, characters? Oh, you thought the main character was scumbags. Not like, like as a fleeting memory, I knew that they cheated with each other. I didn't remember the circumstances. I remembered that like they sort of had absent partners. So it was just like a thing that they were around and then kind of grew fond of each other from there. But yeah. that's so interesting. Like that's the whole movie. Like how do you not remember that, you know? I just well, remember like the, the glances. I just remember the, the reserved love. I thought that was not the whole film. interesting if that doesn't happen. Do you know what I mean? Oh, is it not if they're still cheating without a good but reason to cheat? they're not cheating, cheat? really. They're emotionally cheating, right? So, 
I guess this is a question. Do you think they're not getting together? I definitely don't because they always talk about how they're like, oh, we won't be like them, we won't be, we'll be like them, them. we won't be like them, we'll be better than them. And they go, we know, but they don't know. So I think that's pretty. I and you can see particularly with the rehearsing of confronting their partners, particularly for for her, like how that's real, like emotional support. Mm. I hadn't thought about it. Like I honestly read it as they're cheating, but it's just too dignified to show it on screen. Really, um, yeah. I don't know, but that would change how I feel about it. Like I feel like there's so much. The fact that they're not cheating is part of the heartbreak, you know? I think that that's where the, the, the climax of the film is kind of the sad part because it's them missing each other and you sort of see how their lives drift apart and they kind of have close encounters that don't really happen. It's kind of like the what could have been for both of them. And, and Yeah, and all by this standard where they want to be better than them. Well, like, thinking about it for more than 10 seconds, it's like definitely the way it's supposed to be made. But, you know, the film also works if you read it like... They are. Oh. You wrote an essay and you didn't even know how the movie yeah, went. I know. Damn. It was like 8,000 words. It was published. <laughs> They're like, this kid's a prodigy. <laughs> First year out of uni. What's he doing? What are the magazine, the journals that they po- publish film articles in? There are. No, what are they called though? I'm just curious. It's not nature or, you know. Uh, they're, they're like collation journals and I think they're like film studies. Like, they get a lot of them published at once, is the point. Or you're actually allowed to cite magazines, like, if they're, like, formal enough. Empire's Not- top 10 blockbusters <laughs> of 2021. No, there's, like, sound and image and stuff. If it's... No, because it's the classic, like, as long as it's got an editor. And so there are magazines that are from right. articles that are, have editors. So you couldn't steal a letterbox review. No, I couldn't. So, but I, you could steal the idea, but technically not be allowed to cite it. Yeah, <laughs> A future exactly. film student can't cite you... In the podcast, oh, you know, oh, this gets edited. I'm just Nick. putting it out there, like <laughs> this has this yeah, is I a peer-reviewed podcast, isn't it? I mean, there's a part, the, a big part, I'm cut out already, mm. and also I think that you probably want me to cut out the part that you didn't understand this movie properly. Yeah, that's uh, pretty shameful. But I think that you editing this film will be a little bit like Wong Kar Wai editing this film. <laughs> 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 All right, we're gonna put that joke again. Go. So I think you editing this podcast might be a little bit like you editing. <laughs> <laughs> Should I leave this in just to show? Okay, so I think you editing this podcast is a lot like how Wong Kar Wai edited this film. It took fifteen hours, fifteen months to shoot. <laughs> and what was anyway? It's amazing. This film is an hour thirty-eight, considering that they shot across fifteen months. Hearing this production stories genuinely gives me trauma. Like, like I can't imagine anything worse than shooting a film without a script, but that's how Wong Kar Wai works. Yeah, how that's crazy. In- Tom and I have been planning a music video and it's been quite funny because he wants everything planned out in tables and stuff like that. And if I come up with a concept that I describe to him in words, he goes, hmm, maybe find a reference for me. So then I've got to scour the internet for an image that kind of looks like the frame I'm imagining in my head. Yeah. Um, it's, it's challenging because if I've learned anything from the film process, and I think that a lot of people haven't learned this from the film school process, it's you should intricately plan everything. Mm-hmm. My personality works that I should plan everything. And I do such a better job if I plan it. But then, you know, there are other individuals who operate in a completely different way. And I don't know, like there's no right answer. It's only what you can do. But it's like, I feel like there's enough decisions I got to make on set without going, what's the story we're shooting again here? Yeah, it's interesting though because 
I kind of look. I haven't seen his other films, but this film is very contained, and that's like a big thing that we're talking about. There's a skeleton cast, probably a skeleton crew. It only like this to me could be the film where you do that. Do you know it what I mean? It seems like such a tight film, and it seems like an indie success where they're like, we need four locations, we need two actors, we need two weeks of shooting. Like this, honestly, could be that, couldn't it? And I forgot this. 15 months is insane when you put it like that. 15 months. That meant they kept meeting up. For for a lot of it just being two characters. Yeah. Like having conversations. That's all. But what was his idea? Did you find any of that or not? Yeah. So this was originally part of a film, a different film I was going to make, which was set in China. And it was going to be like, uh, are they vignette stories or something like that? Mm -hmm. Um, So that's what the other film's like. That's what Chunking and... Uh, Fallen Angels Fallen is definitely like that. Fallen Angels is like, they're like bit stories of characters. Mm-hmm. And so this was one of them and it was called something about food. And it was about these people who share noodles and secrets. And then he got shut down in China because they wanted to see a script. And uh-huh. the man does not work with a script. And he had un uh, It's approved- happened to me in Geelong. <laughs> <laughs> he had um, unapproved uh, scenes shot in Tiananmen Square. Ah. and a bit of shenanigans and so then he had to change it and he adopted that story as the main story and then he had a good relationship with the actors mr long is in a lot of his films yeah so then they meant that they kept meeting up they were like isn't that just amazing when you say keep meeting up what do you mean they had to keep filming getting together months and weeks apart the cinematographer pulled out chris doyle i think he's australian oh he pulled out yeah so he got to near the end and then was like is he credited still because yeah they're equally credited there's a second guy and then wong reckons it influenced his filmmaking because it meant he had to be more strained and right uh, more plan and more for a movie that's complemented on cinematography it's very interesting that a cinematographer quits Mm. midway through production yeah i don't think he quit like hatefully but he's like i got other stuff to do man <laughs> like this is getting a bit long Been 15 months and we're still in this hallway yeah <laughs> that's yeah. fascinating uh more production notes the film was originally filmed in a completely different style um it was a lot more yeah so a lot of it was um improvised and initially it was a bit saucier there was them throwing witty dialogue at each other and engaging of several scenes of lovemaking when they realized it worked better as a reserved film. Pretty weird to imagine. It's so interesting because you, you can't help but feel that the culture plays a big part in it as well. Like there's a, a lot of worry about obviously what people think and that sort of stuff. Yeah. And so them having saucy scenes doesn't really make sense. does it's imply that I was right initially though, that uh, they were making love. So maybe he just cut it out. In maybe the unreleased it, edit. Yeah, maybe it, Maybe I have... You saw a different version. Yeah, some... How long's the director's cut of this? Like six hours? Uh, what happens? They, they go to the noodles like three more times. They get different takeaway one night. But it's so funny. Like you can almost imagine this film like, you know, he has... 15 months of footage and he's like all of it's shit except for this and like the stuff that he keeps is like understated do you know what i mean like that's just a really funny yeah it's amazing thought 15 months uh, it's just like i wanted to watch this over rosemary's baby last night because rosemary's baby went for two hours and 10 15 minutes this film went for an hour 40 and i imagine this was shot in probably 14 more months than rosemary's yeah. baby like that was his student polanski student film i'm pretty sure Really? Oh, interesting. Yeah. yeah, just unreal. I couldn't do it. I respect you, Wong. 
not my So, style. you've got to give... I don't know. It's funny. It, it does feel like Apocalypse Now in a sort of way in that yeah. it's like... It's the, the Honkinese Apocalypse Now. Yeah. But it, the fact that, you know, people never pull it off. So, this is like maybe one of two or three times where someone's pulled it off where things have gone that haywire or whatever. It's funny having like knowing that now and looking at, like I was talking about before, like the kind of fragmented nature of the first half. Like Makes you could, a little more sense, maybe. Well, it's weird. Yeah. Yes and no, because I was watching it and I was like, oh, this is interesting. It's not like jarring per se, but it's definitely different from what you're traditionally used to, where you don't let scenes play out. You don't develop the characters very much. And you're just like, okay, this is a 10 second clip where they say hello and that's it. And then we're moving on to the next scene. And it ends with these little like fade to blacks and fade out of. Hmm. But yeah, so it seems like he found the movie in the edit, right? So, And beyond that, there's like, what, three songs in this film as well, you know? Hmm. It's so, we've so got the- weird. It's like, how do, you, how do you accidentally fumble upon all these specific things? Like, that blows my mind. Was it a matter of diving through the edit and being like, oh, this takes better. Like, look at the glance he does there. And like, the, the take that's laying on the floor next to it is like her going... Oh, looking good, man. <laughs> like, it's this expressive version of it. And then he's like, maybe just try like this. Or just like, humor me. And then he turned out with a gem. Obviously, I doubt it, but it's mm. just unreal. I just like, I wonder when everything was filmed, especially because it was over a couple of countries, like relative to each other in that 15-month period. Yeah. Well, they had to get new investors, as I said in the intro. Like, but how much does it cost to film in a hallway as well? It was shot on film, though. So, mm. don't isn't like... This like long Imagine wasting 15 months. Oh, I don't know. This man. He's well, that's what, crazy. So that was the other thing Chris Doyle did say. He was like, I was sick of like refilming. Like they would go back and shoot stuff again. Mm-hmm. And that sounds like me, honestly. It's like, no, we should have got it the first time we were there. Anyway. So I'm basically, glad. he's an idol of yours that you'll never work with. <sighs> Wong. Uh, Wong. Especially now after Blind Movie Very Nights. Let's see what he does this time. But uh, he has made a film since. I yeah. He made the movie. sequel to this, didn't he? It's a spiritual sequel. So, this is called 2046, if I'm not mistaken. And the hotel room number was 2046. Yeah. I did pick up on that. But 2046 is a reference to the year in the sequel, is what you told me. It's not the sequel. It's a spiritual, spiritual sequel. sequel. And there's a spiritual pre- prequel as well. Just like this pod is a spiritual sequel too. So, I went green. <laughs> <laughs> what oh, were you going to go with? God, if I was wittier, I would have had a good joke then. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. Raised out at 10. Jack and Tom couch talk. (laughs) (laughs) Amazing. Okay. I just, before we get to, we're very much deep into the how, what, why, but I want to know like. Yeah. Plot, themes. And feelings. I don't know. Like, um, tell me about it, Ben. Like, where are you with this film? I think it's just like a really enjoyable movie. Like the cinematography particularly really stands out to me, but I just think like there's a lot going on in not necessarily a lot of dialogue. Like there's a lot of in their body language and particularly like you said with the camera, like the in the diner scene when it kind of whips between the two of them, that's really like liberating in terms of their relationship because particularly with their respective spouses who are obviously cheating, the conversations, like you don't even see the other partner. Like you don't see their partner's face the whole time. Mm, yeah. And then a lot of them, like you, there's a doorway between them. So like you don't actually... They're not even in the same room. Like there's a physical barrier between them. Like there just seems like a lot of distance. Mm. And so to see the two characters together and sort of connected through the camera really kind of creates that, that connection. I could not but feel watching this that we were all really mesmerized. We watched this with dad 
and it was just like silent and we're all just watching it and then no one said anything it's so warm is what i gotta say and like well the colors just pop as well right like her outfits are just yeah on, let's go on bloody point okay, i do have trivia about we'll give him some credit in that he's a pretty fly looking dude he's pretty handsome. He's very handsome he looks good but, but she looks amazing. <laughs> yeah, she is the reason you watch this film. She So apparently, according to Wong himself, they had 20 to 25 dresses for her uh, because they cut the film so short, a byproduct of the, the editing process. He said it feels like a fashion show because she changes all the time. But then it was intended to be like a repetitious sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Same thing with the, the music, the angle, the clock, the corridor, the staircase. Um, but yeah, her fashion just really shines through. And I think the dress really matches the mood, like mm-hmm. this idea of like a collar that's sort of prohibitive. Yeah. And there's very much a thing going on yeah. with her perfect posture yeah. and her high shoes and just the the way that she presents herself. Yeah. It's almost like she's enclosed, but like the same way the cinematography in the setting feels like they're kind of boxed in the way that she dresses, and I guess the role that she's forced to play as, as the wife, mm. whether it's, you know, time-wise, culturally or whatever is expected of her as the wife, it does feel like she's trapped as well through that. And the lady she rents off, like, comments on her dressing a couple of times, which is like, mm. oh, dress up like that just to go get noodles. Yeah, exactly. Sort of thing. Mm. Well, and it, it adds to the kind of heartbreak, right, that she feels like this is expected of her anyway. Well, it's interesting because I think, the other, like, it functions as, you know, she's putting on a face and stuff but it's also a huge part of her dignity as well right like she's going like f you husband i'm gonna look amazing sort of thing i think another comment that is really powerful in an understated way is his mate ping being like oh if your wife wasn't so beautiful she'd be afraid of what she looks like Mm -hmm. and i think that that's a killer line in this film where you don't see like it functions so well when you don't see yeah um mr chow's wife Mm -hmm. Um, because you spend the whole time going like, oh, like, would she be an upgrade, downgrade? And like, it sounds petty, but, oh, you know, immature, but like that stuff exists. And I think the film by not showing them is kind of going like, it doesn't matter. You know what I mean? Like, it's yeah. more, it's deeper than that. Well, it's more about I agree. connection than just looks. The whole not seeing their faces thing is something you pick up on pretty quickly. Yeah, what quickly. do you think about it? Because I think it's sort of like explicit filmmaking. Um, and it's very much a device, uh, basically just like comment. What do you think it means? I think that you don't really have an attachment to them in their actual married couples as a couple. Like you don't really have a face to the partner. It's just like a name. And then even when you know they're cheating with each other, you don't have any emotional, con- emotional connection to the respective husband and wife because you've never seen them. Mm. They're just kind of like something that's, that's there. Yeah, well, I think it functions simply in a dehumanizing way just to be like, you can't feel sorry for people that you never see the face of. So that was what promoted my theme that I decided myself that this was a, a film about saying what would be the ideal of two people cheating. But I think that it also functions in a way that sort of makes them seem a little bit more grotesque, like these people for cheating. Mm. Like it's a lot more... Well, it's basically like tabloidy to be like, oh, look at these horrible people. And then you look at her hair and you're like, what a stupid haircut. Only a cheater would have a, a, a cute little bob like that. What are you doing? You know what I mean? And then like, cause I guess you, you're, you're so desperately looking for anything to pick up on. So you're seeing these people in silhouette and you're just like, well, it, man, it you're tri- just the worst. It tricked me in 
how they you you've already at this point seen them rehearse interactions a couple of times but we're in the when they're in the hotel eating and you mm. see the back of him and she's like are you cheating on me don't lie to me yeah and it's like oh what's going down but then like when Which the camera turns a smart scene such a cool scene yeah um but beyond just not seeing their face you also don't hear them emote and they're speaking monotone pretty much the whole the time the partners so like you're do you right can hear mr chair yeah yeah you do they have some interactions. Oh, at the door. But it's all just like one note. And he's really quiet. Did you notice that? Like, Chow was like, oh, I got some books. Your wife. And he's like, oh, he's like, oh, thank you for the rice cooker. Yeah, actually, that scene means so much more now. I didn't realize that at the time. Like, oh, he's like, your wife paid for yeah, it. Yeah, of course she paid for it. How'd she pay? Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, <laughs> yeah. Here's the one meme that jumped out on me is the rice cooker thing when they're all celebrating the rice cooker. And I got to say, as when I had to start cooking for my, <laughs> like making food for myself, that is the exact same experience. I had the same. And my rice yeah. cooker broke during the lockdown and I picked so one up from the goes, corner he, downstairs. He calls me, he says, Tom, next time you're in Japan, do you reckon you can scoop me one of them rice cookers? And I and say, please don't sleep with my life. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'll pay you in money. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Only um, money. How good are the the cows? <laughs> they are called the cow family. Is that um, a coo? Yeah, the coos. Yeah, yeah. the coos and uh, Mrs. Swin. Okay, yes. How good are they? How good is it? How relatable is it, actually? Ben and I <laughs> had very close relationship to the moment where she goes, you know, where they're trapped in the bedroom and he goes, oh, how, how long do you think you'll be? And she goes... Just eight rounds. <laughs> and that, that is absolutely Ben and I. That is any card game we've played. Oh, it's no. just like, oh, you know, we'll get back to homework. Oh, well, you know, we'll go to bed soon. It's just just eight more rounds of... I thought you were going to say like that happened to you when you were staying in a hostel or something like that. Oh, no. Do you remember when we were in um, Kyoto and we were in this hostel that was kind of nice, but there was only for some reason like us staying in the room and... The people who owned the hostel were like up all night, like having a party sort yeah, of thing. Do you remember yeah. that? I think someone like stumbled in pretty late as well. Drunk into our room or something. Yeah, yeah and there's just three of us in like eight bedroom bunk beds. It was bigger than that. It was wide. huge. You know what I distinctly remember reading in that hotel? Kevin Spacey getting cancelled. I remember everyone was getting cancelled <laughs> while we were in Japan. We're like, thank God we're out of the country for this clusterfuck. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> yes. So gossip itself functions pretty strongly in this film. No, I do think that. What a I think segue. that you're on fine form tonight. Yeah, I'm. I'm doing my best. I'm putting in a forty point game on <laughs> thirteen or twenty shooting. Sorry, too much Bill Simmons recently, but yeah, I think that the neighbors function really well as characters um, because they're pretty much the only characters. Okay, so let's break down the characters. How about we do that? So you've got Mr. Chow, Mrs. Chan. We've got their partners, of course. Yeah, Mr. And Ping. We got yeah, Ping, kind of a very weird operator. Um, not quite sure What's why you function? questionable financial decisions. Why would you visit Mr. Ping? Why would you cha- follow Mr. Ping to Singapore when the dude can't even pay for his tab on the brothel? Because he's heartbroken. He's losing Mr. Ping. <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Ping. Actually, that was the meme I wanted to take from this film the most. I wanted to take the fading way of talking. Yeah. <laughs> because I think it's such a good Which talk. is so funny because I did... This is what I wanted to say before when Ben was talking about how there's subtle dialogue. Mm-hmm. This is a film that makes me wish I spoke. You know when you watch like subtitled films? What language would you like to speak? My, I've edited out a chunk where I googled what language they speak in this. I'll just be 
clear about but that. But like to be fair, it was actually somewhat challenging. Yeah, they speak. So apparently in this film, they speak Shanghainese and Cantonese. Yes. So my point was, Ben said there's lots of subtle dialogue in this, and when you watch a film that's subtitled, some sometimes you just read the subtitles and it's good enough for you, and other times you read it and you go, I really wish that I spoke the language because it seems so much more delicate and subtle than what you're actually getting communicated to you by yeah. the subtitles. Yeah. Because I did notice the subtitles in this are, are quite plain and simple. And like even when you've got that part where there's a transition at the end and it comes up with like he saw his past as a dusty oh, window. Oh, my God. I can quote that for you. Well, yeah, I can quote it with a little bit of reference. He remembers those vanished years as though looking through a dusty window pane. The past is something he could see but not touch. And everything he sees is blurred and indistinct. <laughs> so yeah, I can just <laughs> drop it in, yeah. incorporate it. But how good is that quote? I feel like that, like, you know how sometimes you read or like absorb a, a famous quote in like um, context of your favorite book or something like that and it really hits. That quote really hit for me. Memories as though looking through a dusted and faded glass is like, that's brilliant, don't you think? Isn't that what, think, that's what my memory of this film was. I saw a, a, I don't know, dusty window and I saw two, two people cheating on each other, having sex all the time apparently and no, turns out they weren't. Anyway, <laughs> my, main, my point was I feel like you'd pick up a lot more speaking the languages that they speak in this that's film. That's a good point. I wonder because if it's a language where there's like different formality and all exactly. that sort of stuff because yeah. particularly the early interactions, it's like, oh, I won't bother you. I'll be going then. Yeah, it's like how they sort of exactly. It seems super blunt, right? Yeah, and it's it's interesting because particularly I just said how they the partners speak in these monotones and they don't really give much emotion, but you do wonder. Like, I'm sure that the formality is like all there, you know? Yeah, and not being from a culture so hung up on formality, you probably do miss a lot of the subtleties of this film generally because the two leads in this are trying not to. Be judged. They're trying to avoid the gossip. They don't want to be as bad as them. They don't want to be part of a scandal. But when you think about it, the scandal that's taking place is between... It's uh, not even their who, scandal. Well, who's noting the scandal? It's these people that they live with who they didn't know before. Like, it's not like, oh, my parents are going to know that I'm cheating on my husband or, you know, my dad's boss is going to know yeah, that I'm cheating true. on my husband. It's like, this is entirely contained in their social circle with who they live with. Do you know what I mean? Which obviously goes a long way... To, to say about the cultural things and about, which I think is really interesting. It's quite interesting you don't see her parents as well. She references her mother a few times because um, that is where the societal pressure would come in. But essentially you kind of get this vibe that you're like, they couldn't divorce each other. Like it's not in their interest to divorce their partners. Um, it'd be too much... It's just like rebooting in like a classic way that you'd have to like start your life all over again. But like it, it really captures, and I think it's timeless and cultureless, uh, you know, ascended specific cultures that with breaking up with a cheater is really hard because it's in, it embarrasses you. Mm-hmm. And I think this film really captures like yeah. the, the shame of being cheated on. Yeah, that's a really good point. Yeah, I would agree with that. Yeah. And it's funny because that's what you're saying. And I mean, the irony is that you thought they were cheating on each other and you were like, the film was about creating the perfect scenario for like when you could cheat on someone. I still think that is functioning though. I think you could, not saying Wong did this, like maybe one of the months he was inspired by this idea to be like, let's set up the perfect cheating scenario. (laughs) But But if that is, if he's going, this is the perfect cheating scenario and then you are still held back by 
societal pressures of shame of all these other things that makes it so much more powerful yeah and like i didn't articulate that in my head the way that you said it but having said that i think that is what's going on Mm. you know and that's what's meant that what's what makes it more heartbreaking and yeah you know especially for mrs chen like because her boss as well is cheating yeah and she's sort of like complicit in that because she's on the phone and she's like oh he's gonna be in the office late meanwhile he's going to a dinner with his you know affair partner Mm. yeah that's an important point that i was gonna do when i did my disjointed cast list he's a very functional character Mm -hmm. um as opposed to chan's chow's office where the other people don't really matter they're just sort of around but yeah her boss it's a pretty big deal emotionally when you find out that he's cheating and it all comes across with the tie thing right it's about him wearing this tie and he's going oh it's a bit flashy i won't wear it and then the scene plays a little too long that you know that he's talking he got the the tie from his mistress right and then that comes back later when the thing that gives away and what does she say to him she says Someone who's paying attention would notice yes. something like that. Killer line, like in the in the mm. mood, it's yeah. a killer line. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so he he works as sort of like a, another contrast point of I imagine shame as well because he she doesn't want to be involved with that. Like she's dignified enough to avoid it for her boss. Exactly, and that's what's so interesting is like there's this logic that people have in these scenarios where it's like. I'm far enough removed from it. I'm going to keep myself out of it. I'm going to stay out of it. And it almost leads to her being complicit in her own, the, her own husband cheating on her in that she's kind of like, I'm going to stay removed from it. Yeah, you're promoting this culture as well, sort so of. So it sounds like I'm blaming her, but I'm obviously not trying to say that at all. I'm trying to say that it, 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 it definitely affects the decisions she's making, I think. Yeah. And the way that they both go about it, you know? Yeah, for sure. Especially with these rehearsal scenes, I actually get the feeling that you, they actually don't want to confront their partners, right? Well, she, in one or more of them, sort of breaks down crying. Like, even the practicing is, is too intense. But then, okay, hear me out. This film is sort of implying that they don't really actually need... Like, they're basically... as like They're cheating emotionally, inspired by these other people. They're spending time together as this couple that can't ever really be together. But then the film sort of implying they're actually a better fit than their own partners are. Mm-hmm. And so it's this interesting thing going like, because you, you kind of want them to break up and get together or something like that, right? Mm-hmm. But then that can't happen. And the film's better for it, of course. Um, but they are cheating on their partners by emotionally spending time together and getting their fulfillment that you need. Like the actual love stuff they're getting from these people who aren't their partners, right? And it's just fascinating to, I don't know, I guess imagine, like think about what they're doing as in, from a bad light because we the film basically positions you to think about them in a positive light and be like, hey, they're victims. They're just making the best of a bad situation. But you can look at this film from another angle, which is a bit more like, should they have taken action at some stage? Are they letting down themselves but are they also letting down their partners by never actually confronting them for these issues because you can't actually save a relationship by not talking about the issue right right so you know this exercise in rehearsing what they would say to their partner is almost like going you know i don't want to handle this it's not my not my problem in a kind of messed up sort of way what do you think how so just that last bit 
I just mean like, so her, she's getting all of the, the resolution in such a safe space by running it through with Mr. Right. Chow. And like, she never actually has to face any of the consequences of doing the breakup thing or mm-hmm. doing the, the confrontation thing. Of course, you know, the, you could guess that maybe they do do it off screen, that mm-hmm. they have the showdown. But I think the film's somewhat implying that they wouldn't have confronted each other about it, right? It's hard to say because, like, the ending of it's quite ambiguous, I think. Mm. You don't really know. I mean, like, Mr. Chow moves away. Goes to Singapore. Goes to Singapore. Well, it crosses, a f- like, a five-year period. Which makes right? you think that he is not with Mrs. Chow anymore. I think they broke up, but it's not... Oh, actually, no. She, but she's she single because yeah. she well, moves in. Yeah. And uh, they say a mother and her son lives there. Yeah. Mm. So Pretty cool little kicker. Yeah, and so then the whole thing is like they missed out, you know, they were doing all this for nothing. They, they held back for no reason. They didn't follow their hearts for, for shame and all these other kind of petty reasons when they should have, you know, for an inevitable outcome. Well, but not then necessarily there's miserable. The, the few scenes where it nearly happens, but it doesn't. Like she goes to Singapore and, you know, tries to call him and all that sort of stuff, but doesn't go through with it. Like it's just... Yeah, she gets him on the line, hey. Yeah. Sorry, I just had a thought. That was relevant. When we were talking about the boss as well, there's also this thing that I don't know if you guys picked up of or interpreted it the same way where well, you made a good point where like when this film holds on something, it means that it means something, right? Because particularly the first half of the film, I was talking before about how it jumps, it gives you 10 seconds and, you know, two lines of dialogue and it moves on to the next thing. When Chow calls the office and he goes, oh, I missed a Chow called for you and she goes, oh, okay. And then there's this, the boss is looking at her for like yeah, five seconds or something she, like that. She doesn't call him back. I think to me that implication is that like someone called you and you're not calling them back immediately. Like she, <laughs> okay. didn't, she didn't care enough to... Interesting. I interpreted, to me that was like, what do you, do? you know, him judging her. No, I think he is judging her. For... But I think the way he's judging her is like, why are you getting a call from someone who you're not going to call back immediately? And it's like, like who it's is sus. this Mr. Yeah, Chow? Okay, gotcha. Yeah, like, I think he's starting to suspect she is cheating. Yeah, this implication. I mean. So I think there is a lot of subtle gender stuff going on here as well. Obviously, I was going to raise that with it's Mrs. Suen who's the uh-huh. landlord. Yeah, like Mrs. Chan, she kind of cops like the bad implications like either way like when her husband's not there mm. it's kind of like exactly why are you going uh, out so often well <laughs> no at the start it's like oh she's always alone it's sad a couple should be together um all that sort of stuff and then when she starts spending more time with mr chow it's like you know why you're at so much that sort of thing like she doesn't win either way yeah like, so she exactly. kind of gets the like the bad press of it no matter what she does whilst her husband is off doing his own thing yeah and so you know, when they have that final scene, or not final scene, but that scene in the rain and he says that he loves her and she says, I didn't think he'd fall in love with me. Surely some of that has got to be that he, him being a man is the only one who could, he, he's the only one who has the luxury of being able to fall in love with her. Like to her, it doesn't cross her mind on, was like, is never a real option anyway. Do you know? Yeah, that's well, Because she yeah. couldn't, she couldn't be like, I love you too, let's run away. Because like, imagine that, how bad is that for her? But like him, a man's allowed to, to fall in love with somebody else, you know what I mean? Out of passion. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, this is just, I guess, pra- generally praising the subtleties of this film, obviously, right? You know, this is stuff that you kind of think about in the back of your head and then you talk about it and you're like, oh yeah, this is the thing. I wasn't just like, it's lots of coding, I guess, is the film school term, right? Well, yeah, coding. Um, yes, it is coding. I'll give you that. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah, I'll play, one point. play down the line. That's, that's, that's uh, one of these ones. 
Well done. So when you were talking about the the confrontation scene where she's getting lectured for going out too much, that's shot in such like a it's sort of it's it almost feels obvious to me, but it's obviously but it's definitely not obvious. <laughs> so many people wouldn't have done it. It's frame it's focused on her. Yeah. And you're only getting the back of her neck, which is quite a fascinating filmic choice because I get I guess the way you do that in a more mainstream way is to capture over the shoulder of the lady who's lecturing and just stay on the frame of Mrs. Chow's rea- Mrs. Chan's reactions. But then instead they literally just show the back of her neck and show the the lady speaking out of focus. I think that sort of stuff is like it works so much in this film and the same thing with not showing their partner's faces because they commit to it so often and the slow gradual things work because it happens again and again and it doesn't feel tacky or like a throw-in thing <laughs> you know god dying you ev- this happens every episode <laughs> <laughs> you can't carbonate me before i'm going on a rant <laughs> Anyway, um, just brought, like, you know, I just want to praise the cinematography again. The thing that I think I captured most from this film, because I was watching it for lighting, right? Just because, you know, we've, now that Nick's a gaffer. Shut up, you do this like seven times <laughs> in the episode. We get it, you go to films. Okay. Um, I've been looking for lighting, but then I think what Wong's films do so well is I think he has a great sense of movement. And even in this film, you still get it. Like, the controlled dollies are so good. You think of that scene where him, uh, Mr... Chow and Mrs. Chan are spending time together and you get that dolly shot from the mirror and you're seeing mm, their different faces yeah. and their reflections and it's coming back. And then, of course, like the, the dining table where they dolly from behind him for some reason. And then even like the slow-mo stuff where they're going up and down the stairs, I think it's more pan and tilty, but just because it's slow-mo, it's really pronounced what the camera's doing. But I think that this film makes it like it reminds you of the fun stuff of cinematography, which to me is like the camera. This movement. is why we're here. Yeah, I camera movement's my favorite part of cinematography. Like when you get a good movement and it just like gets you in a mood, sort of. Like I don't know how it functions. It's just it just looks crisp and it sort of means something that you don't cut. You know, like the same thing with her and him passing on the stairs. The fact that they don't shoot. Let's imagine the Jason Bourne edit in where it's like her coming up the stairs and you get her angle of him and <laughs> One then his cuts. angle of her and you get these rapid things. But because it's drawn out, it's going, well, it's like doing that thing where you stay on something and it's going, think about this a little longer, but it's the more entertaining version of that. It's like, think about this. Did you notice how they pass in the corridor? We're staying with him. No, actually, like, what about the noodles? What does it mean that we didn't follow her? You know, I just think that there's so much to do in movement and this film just this, this film in general beyond like it it plays it it presents itself like hey pay attention to everything and everything is deliberate yeah so how do you do that how do i adopt that into my filmmaking which is shit relatively <laughs> all right so you need 15 months yeah clear <laughs> okay. your schedule yeah good i think you something that this film does it starts small and concise right mm-hmm. i think that's got to be something where like you got your five or ten minutes in and you're like, okay, we're still in this scene. What am I looking for? You know, it's like really. And then the other thing I would say is the editing that's very short and sharp. I think it, two things which kind of set you up for the mood. It get you in the frame of mind. Get in the mood for love. In the frame of mind to be paying attention to everything. And it come, it's 
it's pretty clear straight on that they're not going to show you the faces as well, you know. So I think you're giving away, you're, you're doing a deliberate stylistic choice, which is extremely noticeable because as an average, as a cinema goer, you go, hey, they're not showing me the face of the person they're supposed to be showing me the face of. So like straight away, you're like, okay, what's going on here? I'm looking for more. Yeah, and the face has not been there, which we've talked about a bunch, but what it means to the average viewer is like, like what does it mean that I'm not seeing their faces? It's asking the question in sort of like a foreshadowing sort of way. Um, you start to realize something's up, basically. But it's just, it's just so interesting. Like the cinematography in the first half is, like we've said, tight, concise, and good, but not, amaz- not as amazing as later on in the film when they get together. Because like when it goes later on, it just gets like flat out beautiful and it's got those, like, like you said, the dolly shot in the mirror and stuff like that. Well, I'm Do sure- you think that kind of runs in parallel with how that relationship- Probably. Yes. Yeah. I, I think that's the thing we're talking into. Because if you watch the, the, yeah, if you look at cinematography, dialogue and like actual relationship within the story, it's like really strict and tight and then it kind of becomes more free flowing. But it's interesting what I think is the testament to the filmmaking is that it's not- boring or jarring for the start like it really and it I picks think up w- but it doesn't pick up in a way where you're like thank god it's picked up you're like oh it's picking up you know yeah so i think that we just talked ourselves into that idea that he would know which is that when they're together the camera moves when they're together stuff they're they're truly themselves they're more free and stuff like that and obviously red's like a big theme and i could be mistaken but it feels like that comes out obviously when they're together more Yes. Well, the only thing that I remember is just her in that amazing dress <laughs> that's like the flowers. And I was like, is this a good looking dress? Like, would this look tacky on anyone else? Is it just because she's beautiful? Or yeah. I couldn't figure, I couldn't come with the answer. And like the color grading on this film, and this isn't even the era of color grading. Although I was going to mention this. Um, <laughs> Although <laughs> his finger is in the air. He's got- I'm, I'm wiggling my fingers. Um, her Brother Were Out There was released in 2000, which was the first film to be uh, digitally graded. So this was beginning at the era of where film was trending towards phasing out. This was the beginning of the bell curve or whatever you'd say of the early adoption. Right. Okay. So just to be clear for our listeners, you're talking about something being shot on film versus something being shot digitally and then made to look the way it looks in post-production color grading. <clears throat> No. So, <laughs> it's called a digital intermediate. And it was really hard researching this when I was first learning about it because it's like, I want it to mean this. And then you just be like, no, this isn't what it means. And you're like, why doesn't, like essentially what I thought it meant didn't mean. So then I kept trying to like fit it into my keyword searches, but it didn't. That's you with like half of your like v- vocabulary. <laughs> yeah. I've, it's trial by error. Really? <laughs> really listening to the old... um um podcasts like whenever i listen to them back before we publish them it's just like didn't use that right well didn't use I, that I, right. Just, I was looking over my cover letter i just submitted and it, i said i have an acute interest which obviously acute means like immense or whatever but apparently it's got strong negative connotations so i was like <laughs> oh I, yeah i thought it would mean focused or something right anyway allegedly we'll see <laughs> Wait, what was digital yes yeah, so digital intermediate essentially what it means is that they scanned the film and then graded it on a computer it doesn't actually mean it had to be filmed on digital it just means that the, the software to to adjust the colors was digital 
So alternatively, they had a thing before color grading, you didn't actually have color grading, it was called color time in. And it was when you would adjust the colors, but you're obviously doing it in a physical way. And you're also doing it like, it, like developing a negative or something. And you were doing it in a way that was more about tints. Um, they were doing things like adjusting the magenta versus the green and the warmth and the cold and that sort of thing, blue and yellows. Like Instagram filters when you make your own. Yeah. Well, because like the first two things you see on the, um, the digital software for color grade, like even photos and stuff like that, you get t- color temperature and green and pink tint. So that's like what color timing is. So then essentially what it meant to me is that this film, like it doesn't, I think you can do a certain amount in post color timing, but it also meant that the sets themselves were really well, like the production design was really good. Like you've got colors that are pop in and you've got contrast coming in. So what sort of amazed me about this film was I was expecting the cinematography to be really, uh, oh, sorry, the lighting to be really soft and something like that. But the light's actually sort of harsh. Like you actually quite, you get quite a few shadows and stuff. So the, the explanation I can come up with is that the key lights are just, because they were probably like film lights. So they were Fresnel or Fresnels. I'm actually not sure how to say it. They're like spotlights and then they were diffused. But then they use like the room lights, like uh, lampshades and stuff like that. And then by contrast, they're a lot dimmer than the actual uh, key lights that they were using on faces. But yeah, I was actually amazed that the lighting wasn't as uh, like delicate as I was expecting it to be. So it speaks to, I, I think it speaks to two things. It speaks to just one, how film has a really good look. Like film... I don't know, it just captures color graduations really beautifully, which means that skin tones show up really well. And secondly, I think that the lenses they were using were really nice. So the key one with lenses is accuracy. So a lot of modern lenses, there's sort of an issue thing where they can replicate the image too perfectly. So um, people don't like them because their faces, you can see every pimple, every bump, all that sort of stuff. Whereas there's this vintage look in um, older lenses that weren't by design flawed but in reality were so like there's different things that's like, a classic thing with all technology because like, often it's when like you think the, about yeah. it and film didn't exist before a certain time or recorded music didn't exist before it's a certain same with time music, right like it's just the way that like you're used to 60 years of things being done a certain way that you, you can't go away from that anymore it's yeah it's like that aesthetic that under the Silver Lake was parodying, which is that you put key lights on people's faces and they just look really good. But then nowadays, when I put my DSLR at your face, you look freaking weird. And it's not because of you. It's not because of my light. It's because of my lens. Are you talking about me specifically? Or specifically, a, yeah. When I first got the DSLR pointing at your face. I was probably a lot pimplier back then. Having said that, I'm sweating all? in this hot box room we're in. Oh, well, it's just so many takes. It's 35 so degrees takes. and I've got nothing under the Christmas tree. Well, look. We're talking about the classics of cinema. Let's talk about the classics of music in the mood for love. All right. So thanks for your speech. I'm sure that was very good. A question while you're still on the Yeah, please. The uni lecturer. Yep. You. You with the uh, blue (laughs) t shirt. So you in the carp (laughs) shirt. Me again. (laughs) With the, the slow motion, doing that on film, like it looks the slow motion looks kind of janky in a way because I guess this is my little bit of like corridor crew YouTube knowledge coming through. Yeah. But it's like if they film it at whatever rate the film camera does and then slow it down, it's kind of a bit 
jerky. Like it's half as many frames, right? Yeah. 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 So, is that? Well, I guess is that a question. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you, you didn't know that? No, sorry. Keep going. Yeah, I guess just any thoughts on that. Yeah, so I remember this was a classic Wong technique. Wong loves a bit of slow motion, draw out the mood, but also to uh, sort of make you reflect a little bit. Um, so there, the sequences on the stairs, they're definitely captured at double frame rate. So double frame rate in these days was a lot different because obviously it was a lot more expensive and riskier. It meant you were shooting stuff twice as fast, with which meant That's you were so exposing twice as much. So film. like... The film is literally moving twice as fast through the camera. Yeah. That's pretty cool. So that's... Do you want me to keep dropping film sure. trivia? So there's a thing, you know, and I will finish this, but it's just interesting. So um, when they did this, they obviously mechanically... Okay. Can we... Can is you there a TLDR? Yeah, because I'm just going to say, look, that's a long spiel to leave in the pod. So can you give a very quick summarized version... Well, the way for the listeners, at okay, home, that's so simple. When you shoot, so the way that the the two times frame rate works in in the mood for love, it works in two ways. One of them is double frame rate, which is where you actually shoot in twice as much footage, and it's it's processing through the camera twice as fast. So then, when you play it back at a regular frame rate, it is one frame. It is still the same ratio. It's still one twenty-fifth of a second. At half the speed, you still have the same number of frames in a second. Exactly. But you're using twice as much film, which was a big deal, right? The other he also uses the other type of slow motion, which is still shooting twenty which is shooting the original twenty-five per second and then doubling each frame and showing it twice. Right. Ah. Yeah. So when it looks janky and disjointed, it's That's because the latter version. he wasn't planned for it or it's a stylistic choice, which I think it is a style. He does enough that it's probably a stylistic choice mm. that he's doubling the frames, not the frame rate. He's showing you the same frame twice. That's why when you see the rain on the floor, I remember that one standing out. Um, and some of the, the more random movements, like. There was one in particular where it was like smoking and like the way the smoke was moving looked kind of. Oh, that was one of the, I don't know if we're talking about the same scene, but that scene where he's smoking and they're like shooting the light and the smoke's coming up hitting the light in his office. Mm. That's one of the peak cinematography scenes in this film, I would say. It just sucks because smoking is very aesthetic on camera. Like it captures, it catches light, you know. Um, this is a film that makes you long for the ignorance of smoking. <laughs> we have Ben on the show and Ben... Watches pretty much every movie we watch and doesn't come on the show. So I just want to be like, I want to ask, why did you want to come on this show and give us, you know, your take? I think, firstly, I was long overdue for my, my second appearance. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> After your extensive fan base requested me back on. Well, I mean, look, Tenet is definitely one of our more popular episodes. Is it? Honestly, it's because, like, I remember watching these movies with Tom years ago and I just remember them being really good movies and like really interesting movies. Um, so what do you think connects them to you? Like what's the yeah, personal connection you feel to this film? Um, I, I like it because a lot of the stuff we discussed about the cinematography, I really like. Mm-hmm. Like I think that that's something as a, a movie watcher, as I've got older and wiser, like I appreciate more like these mm-hmm. things where they're, you know, relatively simple plots, relatively simple settings, but like there's just a lot that there's a lot of storytelling in that setting. 
I think yeah. this is really cool. The other film you're okay, but the the last Podrum was a Christopher Nolan film. So are we getting conflicting opinions here? Are you lying? Were you lying on one of the pods? Lying in what sense? Well, I mean, look, you're saying you're like small set, simple plots, and then <laughs> okay, I'm a letter. Appreciate yeah, both ends of the spectrum. I, have I would say this is an important film, and it's a very accessible film. As like, I think it's creating is... your spectrum. This is like, in contrast to Nolan, it's almost a good point to bring up. Almost, um, <laughs> but it's this is minimalist filmmaking. <laughs> minimalist filmmaking versus maximalist filmmaking. Right, Th- that's a film that like made freaking everything happen. This is a film that's deliberately doing the opposite. So it's almost it almost works that Ben's on for the film that's completely the opposite. Yeah, and it's just it's very different. Like I think that we in the tenant touched on this a little bit about what movies get made and what movies people sort of talk about and stuff these days. Like this is this isn't a movie that it feels like would be as big now. I mean, I don't know how big it was in two thousand, but it's just kind of like very different to what you see coming out. Can I, I just Say culturally, like film culturally, it is interesting to me that this film is this film is like a big film school film, as you went in your speech at the start about why you watched it and there's a million video why there's a million video essays about it and all that sort of stuff. Mm. And having said that, I can't leave it I, I didn't leave it knowing what everyone gets from this movie, you know? I think it's Which just- I think is interesting because some films we watch and I go, this is great because of this or this is great because of this. But this so one's a bit like, of a mystery were, to me. In if my you were opinion. a teacher, you wouldn't say, watch this movie for this technique or for this. Well, look, I you think can you say, would. You, you do your lesson plan and you try it into something. <laughs> but. Okay, but I'm saying you could go, this movie is great because of the cinematography or watch this for the use of the color red as a motif or listen to like the simple use of the, the way that they use music in this film, yeah, for example. Great use. Or even just like the story, like it's it's just interesting. There's a lot here that I don't think there's nothing that particularly stands out as the best part of this film over another part of this film. I don't know if you necessarily agree with that. I think that there's a lot of different things for people to latch onto that think that and you know it's like Ben said about how it's a more subtle film and it's you know it's restrained. Restrained. It it does leave a lot of space for the person to maybe put themselves in it or to take different things from it, you know, which is true with every film, but particularly this film, I think, because I felt attached to this film pretty early on without knowing what I was attached to, I think. Yeah. I was a little daunted doing this pod because it's like such a great but mysterious film. Um, If I'm being honest and I tried to like crack the film, I would just say that the film is powerful in its repetition. I think that show like they show the same dollies up the st- uh, pant tilts up the stairs as she walks up and as Mr. Chow walks up, you get the same shots of them crossing in the corridor, you get the same shots of them work- walking past each other in the noodle um shop. I think this film is using it's using like the secret stuff about film that is hard to talk about, which is like if you show something on screen, the audience knows that it's important and yet they're not slapping you in the face with it and yet you're also getting enough payoff that it's, it's great. Like, it's just such a, such a well-honed film. Um, everything you see is important, but then it's... I, like, I think that... 
I think I love the idea that everything you see is important, but it's not making you go, do you remember that one thing you saw? It's going, remember that thing you saw a bunch of times? Maybe if you look at it in this way, like everything changes. Well, to comment on the repetition, like one of their earlier, you know, role playing things is like, I wonder how it started sort of thing. And then like when you kind of reflect on what you said, the repetition, like they pass each other in the hallways, they pass each other getting food, all that sort of stuff. And they kind of get closer as the movie goes on. It's kind of like, well, that's how it happens. Like yeah. You're just kind of around each that's other. That's a really good point. It's funny. It's, yeah, it, that, that's a good, sorry. I'm actually just interrupting so I can praise Ben's point because I didn't, I'm just, he's such a genius. I didn't think of that. Keep going. Uh, that's my point. <laughs> wow. It's even better <laughs> the second time point. around. Oh, oh my God. <laughs> oh. Uh, I, okay. I need a good point song. <laughs> good point, Ben song. <laughs> I think that you got a good point. Oh, I think that you got a real good point. And I just wanted to commend you. Well, because then you can kind of expand it into the fact that you don't see their partners the whole movie. So it's like, I mean, the whole thing there, it's the the thing that they're away traveling, but they could have had the same sort of encounters that drew them together, but you don't really know. Yeah, I'm sorry, but I feel like that relates to my theory, which is that it's trying to set up, <laughs> it's trying to set up the ideal cheating circumstances. And I, I, I hate I, the way you say that because a, it sounds like you're undermining so much. Okay, you know. okay, okay. I'm just joking. What I wanted to say is that I think well, that reminds me of the the key thing they say, which is that they say we don't want to be like them. And whether you think they had sex or not, don't worry, <laughs> it's fine. <laughs> They might have in, you know, one of the edits that we didn't see. I think the whole point is that there's this cruel irony that they don't want to do it the way that their partners did, but they are going to regardless, right? I think it it is sort of this commentary on betrayal and how you can be in it for the the right reasons or you can feel a certain amount of uh, rights or like they, they feel like they have the right to cheat whether they do or don't. But the thing is, people just, like, hurt each other. And her rejecting him is her hurting him. And she's hurting someone who she definitely doesn't want to hurt, you know? Mm-hmm. It, just has, it just has such a great sense of what people are like and what feelings are like. And I think what you said before was a great point, which is... Great that, point. Great point. Great point. Which is that... Um, the film leaves enough space for you to project yourself onto the characters. Yeah. And I don't know how you emulate that. And maybe that's part of the mystique of this film because all the praise I'm reading and hearing about this film is from a foreign market, you know, like maybe Mm, exactly like that. That's so that's what I was sort of getting at the start where I was saying that my blueberry nights didn't work because part of the, the beauty of this film, like, okay, hear, hear me out. Everything that's so good about this film works because it's foreign um the story is foreign but pretty relatable the cultures are foreign but they're just like a heightened sense of the same feelings and pressures that we we feel in modern times the settings themselves aren't particularly notable like i'm sure if you lived in those sort of apartments it wouldn't be the most interesting set 
but to us it is because it's such a foreign place, right? I think so much of this film comes from the mood, the color, the culture, and that is like that's just this film nailing every single thing. There's nothing that brings you out of the world. Yeah, and this, the time, the time play. Sorry, the, like the historical context is obviously super relevant, even for somebody who doesn't particularly know what's going on. Like it means something. You can tell it means something. It's set in a certain period. And, you know, even when he goes, where do they include that clip from? When he's in Cambodia, right? And they have about the president arriving and stuff like that. That's all really interesting. As someone who doesn't know the politics of Cambodia from the 60s, like, I don't know what's going on. Well, also the, I don't know the politics of Hong Kong in the 60s because, you know, how they were all sort of moving out and like, oh, things are changing around here and it's, it's Just to now. briefly do the, uh, like, quick internet dive. I think that's the era when... Uh, Britain were transferring ownership back to China. Right. Which was a culturally significant... Well, so it didn't fully happen at once, So, and it still hasn't fully happened. Um, Hong Kong is going back to China's country um, in not 2046. That's the whole point. That's when that film set. Um, but Wong said in an interview that he grew up in this era of hong kong where a lot of the people were from china so they were migrants from china and they had this baggage and memories of china and they were bringing it to hong kong mm-hmm. i think i want to talk a little bit about specifics of the film because i i definitely was confused by some of it mm. you know as much as we've been praising the subtlety and space in a lot of it there were parts where I wasn't really sure what was going on sometimes. Like some scenes where I was like, hmm, not sure what that was or who was speaking because it's just voices and stuff like that. And definitely the end of the film, I was not super sure. So The Cambodia. Yeah. Part. So well, not, so he moves to Singapore. She goes to Singapore. And then she goes to his room. Is that what happens? She's in his room and touches his stuff. Oh, yeah, yeah. Because he's like... Who took the thing from my room and all you get is the cigarette with the lipstick. Yeah, I was reading about that before. I think that the way it plays out is like he says initially, I'm moving to Singapore, I want you to come. And then he leaves, but then she goes to the hotel after he's already gone. So that's like him, that's her missing him mm. at that chance. Right. And then she goes to Singapore, I'm guessing to see him and then goes past his hotel room and what tries to call him. Well, she knows where he works, but then I think she's deliberately doing that. She's like, because she does the three rings, notable, because she mentioned that earlier. But then he answers and she doesn't have the courage. Right. Yeah. It's, yeah. And then he goes to Cambodia and buries his secret in the... Yeah, which is the reference to the the discussion. The conversation, yeah. Yeah. I guess I wasn't that confused. It was just a Singapore thing that was a bit vague to me. Yeah, but the the end is quite interesting, you know? I felt like this film was going to end after he rejected her and moved away, you know? No, I like the epilogue. I'm not saying I don't like it. I'm saying I thought. Uh, yeah, I just think it's supposed to be like, the, it all comes to that quote at the end, which is funny because the quote is the 15 months thing that he, did, he <laughs> could have done in two seconds. You know what I mean? Like he contextualizes the story with these quotes at the start and the end of the film. Mm-hmm. But... Yeah, it's all just about the fact that they were probably the best moments of this man's life and or at least the opportunities for him to be himself and then there was a fleeting moment, you know? Yeah. That becomes a real sort of heartbreak of the film for him 
like that. But then it's her too. It has to be. Right. But then she has, like, who's her son with? You'd assume Mr. Chan. Right. Yeah. I want to just say that one part I liked, and it's a specific thing I liked, obviously she inspired him to write his, his um, serials, martial arts serials, and then they're successful and they're contributing on together. And that was just super nice for some reason. I don't know why, but that just felt like something I hadn't seen in a film that the film doesn't a film doesn't often give you, you know? Like create it was like creative influence in a very positive way that wasn't like many manic pixie dream girly. Do you know what I mean? Like it was like genuine support and genuine kind of inspiration from someone who you know, I, I thought that was nice. Yeah, well it's the other angle why they were supposed to be together. You know, it's like yeah, I think that's the thing that emotionally connected with me, maybe, as someone who's a pseudo-creative. It's like, <laughs> I just found that quite beautiful, you know. I don't know. Do we have much else to say? Um, Alejandro Inaritu saw this film at Cannes with his wife. Very moving experience, apparently. They cried and were left speechless afterward. Well, they w- were speechless and then his wife. I hope they weren't speaking during the film. <laughs> oh, God. Um yeah, they had, had a cry afterwards. He said it left... Uh, it was that moment that reminded him why. Okay, a little less profound than being the reason why. But it's the moment that re- reminded him why he wanted to be a filmmaker. So all I'm trying to say is that you can connect the dots between Ping and you know now that he's canon in Birdman <laughs> Universe... <laughs> So, the type of love that I'm talking, the type of love I'm talking about is absolute. Under we need to, we'll do that film eventually because we think that it's somehow underrated, even though it was an Oscar. Didn't it win? Be- it, won it won best, best picture. picture Still underrated. The American centric views that I've been listening to on a podcast or two is that Birdman was overrated. So, which is absolute nonsense. Um. Yeah, I think that's probably the time. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe we should do a quick round table of like what emotionally connected with you the most from this film, if you feel like doing that. I don't know if you're interested in that. Absolutely. I kind of gave my little spiel about that martial arts serial thing. I thought that was really great. And just, I don't know, something about the, the warmth of it that really translated super early on. It, it feels snugly, you know, this film, even though it's not necessarily happy, in my opinion, you know. I could imagine watching this again and enjoying watching it again and just being comfortable watching this again, you know? Uh, I think, like, the the sort of point I made before, like, the way how the movie feels to get tighter and looser depending on what's going on is kind of really enjoyable. And then, like, you sort of are watching them, you know, get more familiar and spend time together and it's really nice. And then when Mrs. Suen is, like, kind of shuts it down, it's kind of like, ah, oh, I guess we were rooting for them to cheat. Like, it kind of snaps you back into reality a little bit there. Yeah. For me, um, the stuff that hits, as I said, is that quote at the end about the memories. I, I love that they both found themselves in this very affecting moment in their lives and they shared it together because it's quite interesting to think about people going through developmental moments and then no one else is on your page, you know, that's mm. sort of the whole point. Yeah. So it's sort of lovely that they share this moment. But well, it's exactly. also tragic. And obviously, the situation 
was horrible for them, but it also put them in a situation where they were less isolated than they would be otherwise if they were cheating with a random person, for example, which is interesting. So it's like the melancholy of of love, but not romance captured. Mm. Yeah, and I just want to give a direct shout out to both of the performances by Maggie and Tony. Like they were ace, like so good. I don't think we've specifically said that, so I just want to say that this film was very much carried by their performances. Well, they're like, they hog most of the screen time. Hog. Significantly. I know, give Mr. Ping more screen time. (laughs) What are you talking about? All right, we're out of time. What did you like about this film, Tom? What did I like? What didn't I like? Um, I liked, I loved, my strongest praise is how succinct and deliberate the filmmaking is. Um, and the thing that I marvel at the most, I think, like the thing that I try and adopt is the the repetition. I think going, hey, like we're, I'm lulling you into this like hypnotic thing is awesome. Um, yeah, I love the fact that the film challenges you to read into their stuff, but never in like an annoying way. It's never like, like it, it's so unique because it's not asking you to read into their lives outside of each other. It's asking you to read into their relationship. So I think innuendo in context of films is normally like, oh, this person's gone through a lot or like, what does this person actually want out of this relationship? I think it, it's really cool how the film teases at these pieces of information and it just like it just hooks you to look closer you know it's it very much rewards you for like falling into the the rhythm of it and trying to decode what they're saying what it actually means to each other um yeah i love how controlled this film is the the mood it creates and i think that's got to do with the motifs of the music and the motifs of the camera and the motifs of the actions that the characters do so yeah motifs motifs are the big winner you're a big fan of motifs, generally, I would say. I love a good motif. I love a good motif. I love a good motif. That's a great point. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's a great point. All right, Ben. What, what, what worked for you in this film? A lot of the same things Tom just mentioned. I think, like, we didn't talk about it a lot, but, like, with the music, which I guess you just did mention, like, I liked how that was very deliberate. Like, there was a lot of times where when they're having their conversations, there wasn't a whole lot of ambient noise. Like it was just kind of them talking and that was it. But then when the music came in, it just seemed right. And like, it really added to what was going on. You know, what's interesting that's just occurred to me is that it's a city film and then it's not like noisy, is it? No. And you don't go to the city. Hmm. It's basically suburbia in the city. Because it's even like, Suburban politics. You know what I mean? It's yeah, like... no, you're right. Neighbors sleeping together. Yeah. All right. Um, well, is there anything that didn't work for you, Ben? Uh, I think that... Not that... What it, would you change? It didn't work. I just think like, as I'm watching it, the ending, like you said, the ending isn't super, super clear. Um, like what happens in what order. And then I feel like there's probably some significance to that little bit of footage from Cambodia. Mm. that Maybe it's the political undertones that I'm not really, I don't really know fully. Um, yeah. But yeah. Yeah. Likewise, I think we just don't understand what the significance of Cambodia, but it must have something. Um, there's slight logic things like Mr. Ping. 
Thirty dollars. <laughs> no, but even the like, what does he do? Is he does he work with him? Is he his buddy? Um, Feels like an uncle figure to me, but yeah, it's kind of I random. Don't know if that's the case. Yeah, I don't know if I change anything. Oh, uh, I the only thing I change, extremely slight. She wears one of the dresses more than the others, and it slightly annoys me. She wears the green one with the lines on it, and obviously in month nine they got a lot of good shots that month so they kept wearing that dress but it's just unfortunate yeah god i can't help i can't stop thinking about the filming process like you can't fault it when it's like a success but it's just like damn yeah <laughs> what would i change i would give back all those months to chris doyle poor guy i know well, it's like, you know, we talk about it being a success, but it's like, yeah, you didn't make enough money for it to be worth 15 months of effort, did you? Yeah, it's very much... So, what's sort of... And like, you could... you could, I haven't seen Chunking yet, but I have heard as much praise for that as I have for this, really. So, it's like, you could have got away without making this masterpiece <laughs> and put people through a lot less hell, right? Yeah. Anyway. All right. Tom, what would you rate it? Count Ben first? No, you're the person. This is You're the Wong man. Yes. Um, this is... This is the one. This is a five-star movie. I'm rating this five This stars. is Tom's first five, I think. Can I get some horns? Can I get a song? You always... Oh. <laughs> five-star five song. Five-star so song. I've given, out some, I've given out fives and I didn't give myself a song. Yeah, but, you know, I like to save myself. You know, I don't want to be like them. I don't know. You spent 40 <laughs> minutes talking about fucking frame rates today. Yeah, and you loved it. <clears throat> five stars, baby. Five stars, baby. <laughs> All right, Ben, can you give us a less pretentious answer? I was going to go four and a half until... And I still, <laughs> and I still will. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing has changed. <laughs> yeah. All right. What, what do you think the halves are? Just quickly. Uh, it's hard. I know in previous episodes, you've had lengthy discussions about the, the film rating process. I don't know. I just find Is it, it a technical doc-in or a personal taste doc-in? It's it's nothing that I can say. This is why it's lost half a star. It's the, it just the power of the five. So you just need yeah. to know it. I know five isn't like it's the perfect movie. Nothing is better than it. It's, but it just yeah. yeah. I'm with, I get that. Yeah, and I don't know. This is just an interesting film. It's hard. To, it's we've obviously spoken about it for a while now, but I also still find it hard to talk about because, like I was saying. I just don't think I have my finger on it yet, you know, versus other ones where I feel like I've kind of worked out why I like it or whatever, or what it is particularly that connects with me. I, I, I don't know, but yeah, this is obviously amazing. It's just a unique feeling and a film, it just feels, you know, without sounding like feeding into film, you know, mythology and, and stuff. Like it feels masterful. Like when you're watching, you're like, wow, this is like great filmmaking That's gonna be like in front of me. Uniqueness, right? Mm. Like. Yeah, it's it. I don't know. It's just the it's feel it's filmmaking with feeling. You know what I mean? And it's obviously, I don't know. There's terrific performances, terrific themes, terrific story, terrific costumes and cinematography. There's just lots going for it. Um. So I'm with Ben. It's I think it's a four and a half. Particular reason for that half star? Probably my confusion. Nah, I don't know. I. It's it's just a, a personal thing. I want to watch it again, which is the thing. Like I, I'll watch it again, and you'll see. I don't know. We'll see what happens. That's a good point. Like I would watch it again because I feel like 
there's something else I could get from it or notice. Yeah, I just think notice differently watching yeah. it. Even yeah, it's kind of it's an intimidating film. <laughs> like I I couldn't give it less than five because it's like it's I think it's perfect. I don't think it can be any better. Um, my relationship will strengthen in the coming time period where I commit to the fact that it's a five star and then I watch it and I'm like, yeah, this is amazing. Because I know it's amazing. It's so good. So what league is it in for the viewers at home, listeners at home? Hmm. It's in the technical perfection category. Right. Which is interesting because, and I think you can... So like Slane Castle. I would also <laughs> argue a thing that's holding, that is like a little bit affecting of this film is that I feel like it's a worst kept secret. And I think sometimes you want to feel like you're in on something. So I think that... Um, yeah, that is That true. can affect your perspective of this film. And it wasn't in 4.3, which is a big letdown for me yeah, personally. Yeah, it just doesn't look as good. 15 months of wasted footage. <laughs> um, but yeah, anyway, it is an amazing film. It is the type of film, if you had to make someone a list of movies to make, I think you, to watch, you put that film on the list. Yeah, look, I am looking forward to doing another Wong film and I think we'll have Ben back on and hopefully we like... We'll be less intimidated by it now that we're over this hurdle, I guess. This is a hard film. Hmm. And that's kind of cool. Yeah. We're growing as a pod. <laughs> we're challenging ourselves. Yeah, we're taking down the taking down the video essay people one one take at a time. I know, because like you can't just rock up to IMAX and say one ticket for Kong vs. Godzilla without, you know, prepping yourself. See that I just think that Kong vs. Godzilla is gonna be Probably the first technical and personal <laughs> experience. <laughs> I'm just very excited. Anything else you plug in besides the Kong? Kong Have you watched all of the preceding movies of no, Kong? No, I've watched none of them. <laughs> you, you're coming in with no background. Yeah. God, I almost want to. We need to we, make we'll sure we it. get. We need yeah. midnight screening tickets, surely. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Um, Follow us at I'm Good Brother, the official home of well, we Ego get, we Problem give out, and I guess Ego a Out chance podcast. to plug anything. I have nothing to plug. <laughs> but anything you want to say? Uh, well, I guess thanks for having me on here again. I will happily come on again anytime. All right. So, yeah, follow us on I'm Good everything. Brother. And I'm Good Brother on Instagram, which is very important. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why, but it is. I don't know if you were listening, but follow us on at I'm, I'm good, good brother. brother. And yeah, please, please, just tell a friend. Just tell one person to listen to us. If you have to recommend, if you were recommending someone to listen to one of our episodes, which re- episode would you recommend? Can I say Kong vs. Godzilla? Or is yeah, it? you can plug Kong vs. Godzilla. It's going to be a big episode. It's huge. It's the showdown of a century. It's bigger than, bigger than Ben-Hur, as they say. <laughs> This has been another classic. Another classic. Another classic. Or a fresh one. If we knew what we wanted, you'd be useless. Tell us what's in. Tell us who's done. Another antique shipwreck you spun. It's a Friday.